0: Morning. Good to see y'all here. It's good to be in the Lord's house this morning. I know some people have noticed it, but there's a clock right back there by the sound booth, and uh, some people have said they put that back there because they knew I was preaching this morning. I don't know what that's supposed to mean, but uh, I'm not even going to look at that clock. So you know, if we're here ten minutes longer, then we're here ten minutes longer. But uh, when Brother John asked me to preach a couple of weeks ago, I was uh, I was privileged because. It's not very often that a pastor will give up his pulpit on a Sunday morning, but it's a lot less often that a pastor will give up his pulpit on a Sunday morning that he's going to be at the church. So um, when he asked me to preach this morning, I was beyond honored and I was privileged. And uh, it's just really good to be here this morning. So, you know, the Lord kind of gives people sermons in weird ways. When you're like me, you know, you don't preach every week like Brother John does. So, you know, I don't just have sermons flowing out of my head. So, you know, when he asked me to preach, one of the first things I asked God, you know, God, you know, what do you want me to preach on? And sometimes he gives us sermons in just some of the weirdest ways and in some of the most uncomfortable ways, too. Um, let me ask you all a question. Has anybody ever been in bed at night? You know, it's about two in the morning and you wake up and you just have like this parched feeling in your mouth and throat. Does anybody know that feeling that I'm talking about? You know, you're just so thirsty and, you know, you just feel like, you know, your mouth's just been like, your mouth's like the Sahara Desert and you're just so thirsty. you do anything to get something to drink. Well, you know, you get up and you try to, like, sneak through the house without waking anybody else up. You know, you try to sneak and get something to drink out of the refrigerator and then sneak back to bed. You know, you just try to do it without waking anybody up. You know, that's just one of those feelings that we have. And I think the worst feeling of that is, you know, you have that awful taste in your mouth. And what I'm talking about, you know, that's just, just that disgusting taste. And you ever do anything to kind of get some relief. Well, you know, we get thirsty a lot. And, you know, the human body, you know, the average human, you know, they can go for about three days without water before their body begins to shut down and their body function begins to deteriorate. So, you know, we need water to survive. You know, water um, is it's an essential of life. But that's a physical thirst. I want to look at a... Um, I had a spiritual thirst this morning. I want to ask you, you know, how often do you get spiritually thirsty? You know, do you get spiritually thirsty, you know, once a week? You know, you come to church, you know, on your Sunday, you know, maybe your Sunday night, maybe your Wednesday night if you're really thirsty, you know, that's just enough for you. Or do you get thirsty every day for God? Do you want more and more of Jesus every day that you're so thirsty? I want to tell you this morning that Jesus is a Savior, that can give water to all thirsty sinners that ask for it. He can give it to anybody that wants that water. So if you have a uh, if you have a copy of the Bible this morning, if you would turn with me to the Gospel of John, I'm going to be in chapter four. And when I say that, a lot of you know exactly what this story is: the Gospel of John in chapter four. It's such a beautiful story here. Um, I'm going to start in verse four, but the first three verses, um, you know, we see that Jesus is leaving Judea to head to Galilee. And the reason why John tells us is that he's trying to avoid conflict with the Pharisees. Um, They were closely looking at the ministries of both John and Jesus. So, you know, Jesus was never one to avoid conflict if it was in God's will. But he knew that it was not time for a direct conflict with the Pharisees. So he decided to leave Judea and head north towards Galilee until he knew that it was time for him to go to the cross. Now, verse 2 there, you know, It clarifies that Jesus was not actually the one baptizing these people. Um, His disciples were the ones doing all the baptizing. And this baptism was based on repentance for the forgiveness of sins. You know, also, you know, Jesus might have thought, you know, if he actually baptized people directly, people would walk around boasting saying, you know, I was baptized by Jesus himself. That makes me better than you. So, you know, his disciples were the ones that did the actual dunking, if you will. Um, So if you would stand with me, if you found the your passage, your place there in your Bible, I'm going to start reading in verse number 4 of chapter 4. And John says, he says, And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, weary as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water, The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Father, we come to you and we thank you for this time to gather in your house this morning as believers as we worship you. And Father, as we sung this morning, you're such a great and awesome God. Father, we ask that during this short time that we have together that you would just bless it. Father, just move me out of the way. Speak through me, Father. Just use me in a way that someone here can hear, hear from you this morning, Father. Not hear from me, but hear from you. And Father, we'll give you honor for everything you do. In your name we pray. Amen. Y'all be seated. So I believe that we can draw three things from this passage of Scripture here. And the first thing I want to look at is the fact that Jesus seeks after sinners who aren't even seeking after him. Jesus looks for the sinners that aren't even looking for him. In verse 4 there, it says, you know, and he had to pass through Samaria. This was the shortest route from Judea to Galilee that many Jews used, but it wasn't the only route. Some strict Jews who didn't want any contact with the Samaritans would take a longer route. They would cross the Jordan River in the east, they'd travel north, and then go back west into Galilee. Since Jesus was probably already at the Jordan River where they were baptizing, he could have easily taken that route and went around Samaria, but he didn't. That's because Jesus had a divine appointment in Samaria. Jesus had a purpose for going to Samaria. The village of Sychar that it mentions was located about 30 miles north of Jerusalem. Jacob's well was about half a mile outside the village. And John mentions that Jesus was weary from his journey. So he was sitting beside the well at the sixth hour. That's about noon. Um, the disciples had gone into the city to buy food. The distance from where Jesus had been baptizing the Sychar was about 40 miles by road. So Jesus and his disciples had probably been traveling for about a day and a half to arrive there by noon. So they, but they were obviously very, very tired. Now one thing we have to remember here is the, is the tension that there is between the Jews and the Samaritans. You know, the hostility between them went back centuries. I mean, it went back for a long time. Um, this is just a little bit of history here. In about 400 B.C., the Samaritans built a temple on Mount Gerizim, which is the Samaritans' holy holy mountain. It's kind of like their Mount Sinai. Uh, the Jewish leader burned it down in 128 B.C., which didn't improve the relationship between the two groups. Also, the Samaritans only accepted the first five books of Moses. They didn't accept, you know, the all of the Jewish scriptures. So the Jews viewed the Samaritans as biological and religious half-breeds, I guess, if you will, Um, all of these events and factors had led to intense hostility between the Samaritans and the Jews of Jesus' day. And I don't think we can properly understand this story unless we keep that in mind, that these these two groups did not like one another. They did not get along. Now, the normal time for, for women to go and get water at this well was either in the early morning or it was in the late afternoon when it was cool. It wasn't, the noon wasn't a good time because it was so hot. Remember, they're in the desert. Um, the well was a place where women gathered to talk as they filled their water pots. You know, they would laugh and they would talk and they'd probably gossip about the other women in their village, you know, just kind of talk with one another. Um, if you will, this well was kind of like the Starbucks of, of their village, if you, if you would use that as an image. Um, you know, we can't say for sure, why this woman came to the well at noon. You know, in the hottest part of the day, but it was probably because of her immoral life. You know, she wanted to escape the condemning glares and the gossip of her fellow neighbors. Um, she wasn't liked by the other women. She wanted to come when she could be alone, but when she gets there, she encounters this Jewish man. And this man had the audacity to ask her for a drink of water, a man that should not have even been talking to her. You know, I guess it was probably 70, 80 years ago, I don't know, whenever whenever all the civil rights stuff happened. Um, you know, this would have been like a white man asking a black woman for something to drink out of her cup. You know, it was just not something that you did. It was it was frowned upon. Um, add to this, you know, it wasn't socially acceptable for a Jewish man, much less a rabbi, to speak to any woman in public. It wasn't acceptable. Um, the rabbis thought that even Jewish women should not be taught scripture. So Jesus, to go beyond asking for a drink, which was shocking enough as it was, to direct the conversation to spiritual things, um, it was just completely off the chart. You know, it was just completely unheard of. You know, it wasn't that this woman looked at Jesus and said, Sir, you look like a Jewish rabbi. I'm, I'm hungry to know who your God is. Can you can you tell me how to know him? Can you tell me how to know who your God is? This woman didn't do that. She was just minding her own business, you know, doing her daily chores, getting her water. When this stranger asked her for a drink, and he began to steer the conversation into a spiritual matter. She wasn't seeking to know God. Her guilt over her current, you know, living boyfriend she was living with in her previous five marriages, you know, that had kind of distanced her from God. She had kind of, you know, kept her distance away from God, you know, I kind of thought of this analogy. You no, know, she wasn't really what you're going to see on the front page of Christian Mingle. You no, know, that's just, just, this is not what you're going to see. Um, the only explanation for this story is that Jesus was seeking a sinner that wasn't even seeking him. He found this woman. Now, for those of us who know Christ, you know, you're probably thinking, you know, what does this have to do with us? What does this have to do with me? If we want to be like our savior, we should be seeking out these same people. We should be seeking out these unlikely candidates for salvation and try to turn the conversation into a spiritual matter so that they can come to know the savior that we know you know i think too often i mean i'm, I'm very guilty this. you know i look at someone and i think you know they're not interested in jesus they're not interested in these spiritual things they don't care to hear this stuff so you know i don't think you know i should go have a conversation with them and then turn the conversation into something spiritual because they're just not going to care I think as Christians, we've all done that before. We've all looked at someone and just thought, you know, they're not Christian material. But maybe this morning I'm speaking to someone who has a, a sinful past. You know, right now you're living in sin. The application for you is that Jesus seeks after just such people like you to be his disciples. He wants sinners to be his disciples. You know, I think I've heard Brother John say this. The only qualification to be a, a follower of Jesus is to be a sinner. So, you know, that doesn't make you disqualified from being a disciple of Christ. Jesus said that he came to seek and to save that which was lost. He saved the thief on the cross and he saved the the chief of sinners that was persecuting the church. He saves this immoral Samaritan woman and he wants to save you too. He wants to save you. But not only does Jesus want to find sinners that aren't even searching for him, But Jesus offers all sinners the gift of this living water, this gift of living water. I want to notice three things here. The first thing is that the living water that Jesus gives is a gift. It's not something that you must earn or or qualify for. Notice the emphasis I put on the word gift there. In verse 10, it says that Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given, you living water. Jesus is trying to give this woman salvation. Then down in verse 14, he says, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well springing up to eternal life. It's a gift. Salvation is a gift. It's not a reward. It's not something you earn. Salvation is a gift freely given by God. It's not something that we have to work for or pay for. You know, one of the most common spiritual errors is that, you know, we have to get into heaven by our good works. We have to earn our way into heaven. You know, every religion, except for biblical Christianity, you know, teaches that, you know, salvation is done by good works. It's done by, you know, you have to earn your salvation. You know, that's the teaching of the Catholic Church and a bunch of others. You know, you have to earn your salvation. But that's not true. You know, you don't have to earn your salvation. It's a freely, it's a gift that's freely given to us. In the book of Romans, you know, Paul writes, he says, When people work, their wages are not a gift, but something they have earned. But people are counted as righteous, not because of their work, but because of their faith in God, who forgives sinners. Then he writes to the Ephesians, he says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that is not of yourself, it is the gift of God not a result of work so that no one may boast. It's not something that you've done. It's everything that Christ has done. It's a gift of God. The gospel is not good news if it requires that you have to do work and reform your life and keep a bunch of rules and do an unspecified number of good deeds and hope that someday that God might let you into heaven on that basis. While it's good to do those things, that's not what salvation is. But it's wonderfully good news if God offers it to you as a free gift, which he does. It is a free gift. Salvation is a free gift. But maybe you're thinking, you know, because of my my many sins, which I'd be embarrassed for people to know, I'm not worthy of that gift. I'm not worthy of the gift of salvation. And the answer is no, you're not. None of us are worthy of this gift. We're not worthy of the gift that Jesus freely gives us. But no sinner is excluded from the offer of this gift. No one, is, no one is excluded from receiving this gift. In the eyes of most Jews, including the disciples at this point, this woman was not worthy of Jesus' time. Just being a Samaritan excluded her. Being a woman was strike too, but being an immoral Samaritan woman struck her out. This is someone that Jesus should have never come in contact with. You know, the disciples might have been thinking, you know, Jesus, why don't we move on to more important, better qualified people, people that have more potential, but Jesus took the time and the initiative to talk with this sinful woman about living water, about salvation. He didn't exclude, exclude her from offering her this gift, and he doesn't exclude us either. He wants you to have a part of that gift as well. The gift is freely offered to, the, to notorious sinners and to self-righteous religious sinners. Because both equally need the gift. The ones that think, you know, they're better than everyone else and the ones that know they're not better than everyone else, they all need this gift of salvation. And the gift of living water that Jesus offers will satisfy our thirsty souls forever. It's an eternal, it's an eternal water, it's an eternal well. Um, you know, Jesus tells this woman, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst but the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. By living water, Jesus is referring to the the eternal life, the, the eternal salvation that the Holy Spirit gives us, that eternal life that we get to spend eternity with Jesus Christ and God in heaven. As Jesus says, you know, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Living water is the same thing as, you know, we've heard we've heard it called a new birth. Um, It's the same thing, but it's just a different analogy. You know, in that hot desert climate that they were in, water was essential for life. It was always welcome and it was always refreshing. We all we all enjoy water, right? We all enjoy to have something to drink. Living water referred to the water flowing from a spring or fountain as opposed from, you know, being collected in a well. You know, it was a constant flow of water. It wasn't just water that just sat there you had to collect. It was constantly rushing and coming towards you. Jesus told this woman that the water he gives will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. In him shows that true Christianity is not primarily a matter of rituals and ceremonies, but it's about a personal relationship with a living God. It must be in each person's heart. The picture of this living water springing up points to the continuous source of life that the Holy Spirit supplies to believers. It's active and it's always flowing. There may be times of greater and lesser flow. It may not flow quite as strong sometimes, but it never dries up. It don't dry up like all the rivers in our our world do. This water continually flows. It never goes away. When Jesus says, That whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never thirst. He means that we who have drunk this living water are satisfied with him in the sense that we know he has rescued us from sin and judgment. He has given us eternal life and that nothing can separate us from his love. We're his children. We're under his loving care in every situation. He has given us every spiritual blessing. We have his word which is like water to our soul. The more you read this book, church, the better your life's going to get. I can promise you that. The more you allow Christ to take this book and put it in your life, the better your life will be. The more and more you be like him and the more you experience this living water. Now, when Jesus says that, he doesn't mean that our thirst for him will forever be quenched. It's not just the one time you get saved and you're done. No, it's a constant process of continually to drink out of this river. We still hunger for God, and we still thirst after His righteousness. Our hearts, you know, as that song, you know, you know that song, "As the deer," you know, our 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 hearts still still pant for that water. It still wants that water. We still pray to God. So, my last point, you know, how do we get this living water of salvation that Jesus so freely offers to all? How do we get this living water? Well, to receive this gift of living water, you have to know three things. The first thing is you have to know who Jesus is. You have to know what he offers you. And the big thing is you have to ask for it. You don't just get it. You have to ask for it. You have to want it. And verse 10, again, it says that Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. To receive the gift of God, the gift of living water, you need to know what it is. You know who Jesus is. We've already seen that the gift of living water is salvation that the Holy Spirit imparts. It is the Lord himself dwelling in believers, the Holy Spirit. To Nicodemus, Jesus spoke about being born of the Spirit. Here he invites this sinful woman to ask him to give her this living water that will forever quench her spiritual thirst. Again, it's important to know that salvation, it's not something you have to keep a bunch of rules and do a bunch of rituals and do all these things to keep your salvation, but it's rather about a new life and having a relationship with who God is, having a relationship with him and striving every day to make your life more and more like him. And it's important to know, as I've emphasized so much, and the way that Jesus emphasizes it is that it's a gift. It's a gift that you must receive. And to receive this gift, again, you have to know who Jesus is. You have to know that he is the savior that came and died on the cross and was buried in the ground and on the third day rose again and conquered death. You have to know that. The woman needed to know something about this one who claimed that he would give her living water. You know, this kind of scores the fact that faith is not a it's not, it's not a blind leap in the dark. It's not just something you just go and do. Um faith is only as good as its object. Y'all still with me? Faith is only as good as its object. To have faith in an airplane, you have to know that it's flown recently. You wouldn't get on a plane that's never flown before, would you? I don't want to get on a plane that's flown 500 flights, much less one that's never flown before. You know, we have to know that it works and that it's trustworthy and that it's going to happen. To have faith in Christ, you have to know who he is. You have to know what he's about. And there's a couple of things here. The fact that Jesus was tired and thirsty shows that he was human. It shows that he was just like us. Jesus didn't perform a miracle to quench his thirst, even though he had the power to do it. He could have easily, you know, just made some water appear and just drunk it. But he didn't do that. As a man, he can sympathize with our weaknesses. He asked this woman for a drink. By being willing to drink out of her cup, he was putting himself on her level. This was a king, and he was putting himself on the level of this woman that was on the bottom of the pole. He didn't make her feel that he was superior because he was a Jew. He didn't put her down as a woman like many Jewish men would have done. He came across to her as he truly was a tired and thirsty man. And the fact that Jesus is able to give living water to thirsty sinners shows that he is God. Jesus is God. The woman asked how Jesus could get this living water out of the well since it was so deep and he had nothing to draw it with. You know, how often are we like that woman? You know, we say, Jesus, you know, I know you can do it, but you don't have any way to to help me because, you know, you don't have a way to get down and help me and pull me out because you don't have a way to get it out. You don't have a way to get me out of this. We doubt Jesus. Then she challenged him. (laughs) She challenges Jesus. She says, you are not greater than our father Jacob, are you? The answer, of course, is yes, he is. He's, He's much greater than Jacob was. He is probably the angel of God, you know, who wrestled all night with Jacob. Remember that story? You know, he wrestled the angel that wrestled with Jacob all night. He's probably that angel. Um, and the answer to where he can get the living water is, is that it's inside of him. He has it within his own self and he can supply it to as many people that want it. He has an endless supply of grace for all. And finally, to receive the gift of living water, this is the big thing. You have to ask for it. You know, when someone gives you a gift, it's not like they just throw it at you and leave it. No, they expect you to take it from them. You have to receive the gift. Jesus says, if you would have asked, I would have given it to you. To ask, you have to recognize that you are thirsty and that you can never satisfy that thirst by yourself. But if you come to Jesus and ask, he will give it. All you have to do is drink and drink of him until you are satisfied. But the only condition that Jesus states in this is, you have to ask. You have to ask for the living water. And if you ask, he will give you an endless supply of living water. He will give you a supply that never runs out. You know, when I was preparing this sermon, you know, I guess you can say this is more of an evangelical sermon, one that's just made to, to grab lost people. But, you know, I kind of thought, you know, this is true for people that have been Christians for 40 years. It's the same thing. You know, we still need that living water every day in our lives. I know when some of you come in here, you were wondering what this was about. I saw a couple of you staring at it, you know, picking up some of the ping pong balls. We're like, no, what are these for? I'm about to show you. I saw this. This isn't my illustration. I just saw this. Some of you may have seen this before. I thought this was really, really neat. So, here I have a jar, a vase, whatever you want to call it. And this vase represents your life, the way you live your life, everything you do. And these little ping-pong balls, there's probably about 50 or 60 of these things in here. These ping-pong balls represent the sin that's in your life. All that anger you have, all the hate, the jealousy, Everything in your life that's displeasing to God is in this jar. I want you to watch what happens. This pitcher here, this one gallon of water, this is the endless supply of living water that Christ offers to us. And here's what we do. You know, we start and we begin to read our Bible every day. But it doesn't seem like much has changed. Everything's still in there, right? It's still the same. But you know, I've heard it said that anything that's worth doing is worth doing continually. It's worth doing once, you can keep doing it. So you keep reading your Bible. You keep going to church. You keep sharing the gospel. And eventually, these things, these sins in your life, they begin to go out of your life. Are y'all still with me? And you see, the more and more we allow Jesus to come in, you know, the more and more our life becomes more pure, the more and more we become more like Christ. But the question is, what happens when we get to this point? And, you know, we're better people than we used to be. You know, we think that, you know, we've got a good bit of Jesus in us, so you know, I can still do the things that I want to do because you know I'm a good person. I go to church, I read my Bible, I pray. But you see, when you look at this, if I asked all of you to go up to the balcony up there and I asked you to look at this jar, what are you going to see more of? You're going to see these you're not probably not going to see this water. All you're going to see is these ping-pong balls. And that's what we look like to the world. The world can see our sin. They can't see all the good stuff. They don't see all the Jesus. They just see the sin in our lives. Because we don't allow Christ to continually fill us up and just completely to, uh, to, to control our lives, to, to be our God. But you see, when we keep allowing Christ to do things for us, you see, eventually all that sin goes away. And we're just left with Christ. But let me show you, this is the cool part. Remember, these balls, these little ping pong balls represent your sin, all the bad things in your life. And see, when those things start trying to make their way back into your life, what do you notice? They only stay on the surface, right? They can't go back down in there, they come right back out. They can only stay on top, and then you just allow Christ to keep filling you up, and you keep allowing him to change you and make you a better person. That's what the good news is. That's what the gospel is. That's what that's what it means to take in this living water. When you allow Christ to com- completely fill up your life and remove all of the sin in your life. It doesn't matter if you're if it don't matter if you're in this room and you're lost, it don't matter if you've been saved for sixty years. You still constantly need to drink of this water and drink from this well and drink and allow Christ to fill you up every single day of your life. It'll make you a better person. So that's my question to you this morning is Are you still drinking? Or have you even begun to drink? Maybe you're in here this morning and you're lost. You're a sinner. You don't know what it means to to have Jesus. You don't know who Jesus is. You don't know what it means to drink of this living water. I invite you to come this morning. Come talk to somebody. And let us help you understand who this Jesus is. Because he can truly change your life forever. He is the most wonderful thing that can happen to you. But maybe you're in here and you 're a Christian you 've followed God all your life you 've come to church all of your life, but you just allow God to fill up fill you up enough to where you know it makes you satisfied to where it 's good enough for you you haven 't allowed Christ to completely let you just overflow with his water and wash all the sin out of your life, and you keep holding on to those things that you enjoy doing so much. I invite you this morning to to come and just give it all to God and say, God, I want you to fill me up again. I want to be full of your living water. I want you to help me. Help me to be a better person than I am when I got here. Help me to live a better life for you. I invite you, don't leave this place with that same sin, church. Don't leave this place dry. (laughs) Leave this place full of the living water of Christ and allow him to fill up your life. Father, we come to you and we thank you for this time together. Father, we thank you for this morning. Father, I thank you for your son. I thank you for Jesus. I thank you that you sent him to this earth, Father. Father, as I was sick this past week, you know, Father, one of the questions that went through our mind is, why would Jesus want to put on one of these old bodies and come to this earth and suffer? And just be tired and ache and be be uncomfortable all his days just to die. But Father, he did that because he loves us. Because he wants a relationship with us. He wants to continually pour that living water into our lives. Father, I ask this morning that everyone in here, that you would just help them to see their life, Father, see where they need to have that water poured in their life. I pray for the lost person in here, Father, that they would come come to this altar, Father, and pray and learn who you are, Father, and accept you and allow you to come into their lives, Father. Father, I pray for the Christian in here, that tired, wore-out Christian that's been going through life for so long, Father, but they're just they're not as thirsty as they used to be. They don't want you as much as they used to. Father, I pray that you would just fill them up with your spirit, Father, and let them come and just say, Father, I give it all to you, Father. I want you to take control of my life again. I want you to be my God and be my Savior. Father, we thank you. We thank you for Jesus and his sacrifice that he conquered death for us. Father, we pray in this time that you would just let us respond in the way that we need to respond. We wouldn't think about the crowd and the people that are here Lord, we would just come and just speak with you, Father. In your wonderful name we pray. Amen.